I am Brad Levitt, host and founder of A Finer Touch Construction, and we're super excited to bring this amazing guest list to you of people that specialize in business, marketing, social media, entrepreneurship, and most of all, how to build a great company. AFT Construction is a local commercial and residential general contractor located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we are continuously seeking ways to bring value to our industry clients and network. You can subscribe to us on any major listening directory by searching the AFT Construction Podcast. And of course, a big thanks to our sponsor, Sub-Zero Group Southwest. So if you're starting a new kitchen project, the Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom is the place to start. It provides an immersive environment to help you realize the possibilities of your future kitchen. Discover what it may feel like, look like, taste like, all in an exploratory, no-pressure showroom. No matter who you are, consumer, owner, or member of the trade community, the showroom is ready to assist you throughout your entire project. I visit the Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom in North Scottsdale quite often. In fact, it's just around the corner from my office, so it's the perfect place to meet with my clients and the designer on the project. When we arrive, we meet with the showroom consultant whose sole focus is catering the visit to our needs. They seek to understand what products may be best suited for the client and then explain and demonstrate special features and functionality. We can browse the complete line of Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove appliances and then view them in beautifully designed vignettes, helping my clients envision how the appliances might look like in their home. The best part is that the consumers can interact with the products. They can turn the knobs, open the drawers, and ignite the flames, discovering the best fit for them. With the help of the showroom consultant, each visit is truly unique to the client. The relationship with the showroom does not end with the appliance selection process. Throughout the entire project, the showroom team is there to provide helpful solutions and offer advice and assistance. After appliances are installed, owners can expect a lifetime of support and helpful resources. The Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom is the place to start, experience, and bring your visions to life. Schedule an appointment at your nearest showroom by visiting www dot subzero dash wolf dot com backslash showroom so this week on the podcast we have layla peterson and layla is the owner and founder of prescribed health and also prescribed design and what's really neat we brought her on because she is a business owner and that just relocated her medical practice from san antonio to arizona and so not only did she relocate her practice that she had to do this during covid and you talk about the complications of building any company you know marketing hiring protocol purchasing doing a construction build-out, TIs in a commercial building, all these elements come into play. How did she manage that? You know, what's her insight on how to better do that? And there are a couple of points she made in regard to networking and marketing that really stood out to me that I think a lot of you will gain some great insight from. So big thanks to Layla. You'll definitely enjoy this podcast. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast today. And we're very fortunate to have Layla Peterson, who is owner and founder of Prescribed Health with us today. Welcome, Layla. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And Layla is very active on social media. You know, we're we're going to have her tagged here in the show notes. So you're going to see everything she's doing from a medical side and social media business. And one of the most exciting things you've done is, you know, I, I relate it to me. You know, here I'm a builder. You know, I have my market. And the medical field is very similar. You have a client base. You have a network. You start building that. You know, if you're a hairstylist, it's the same. And now you're moving from San Antonio, from Texas to Phoenix, and you're changing that whole demographic. And I, you know, I just think inside, you know, if I'm taking AFT and moving us to another state, trying to start building that network is so much work and you've done that. So here you are moving from Texas, you're in Gilbert now. So how has that been? What's been the biggest challenge of opening your new location here in Gilbert? Well, exactly what you said is finding new patients and new clients because I'm from Utah. I've been in Texas for the last almost eight years. And so we moved to Arizona and hardly knew anybody. So that's definitely been the hardest part. Just like with any business in a new location, finding people in that area to be come see you. 
Yeah. So how, you know, where do you start? Because, you know, I, social media has been a good advocate for us in the sense that we get lead generation, but it's taken time, you know, but if I'm starting from scratch in an area, how do you start building that network? Because for you, it's very similar. I have to hire superintendents and personnel and coordinators, right? You're having to hire, you know, other medical professionals and nurses and receptionists and all these things that go into the backside of it. So how do you start building the business side as well as the client side? Well, for clients, I have found the biggest thing has just been reaching out to people and taking every opportunity to meet people because I didn't know people anywhere. It wasn't just the business side. It was at all. And so, you know, at church or in the grocery line at, you know, asking the people what they want to see or what they do. And um, I think I met your wife that way, just reaching out to her at school pickup, you know. And so um, taking every opportunity at every location to to meet people and to reach out and kind of build a community um, that allows you to pull people to hire. And then that also gets patients. They might have a mother that needs to be seen for whatever reason. And then you start kind of building that community that you can start pulling from because I didn't even have that. Well, that I love that philosophy because when you think about business, there's a term I use all the time called silent salesman. And You know, social media is a silent salesman in the sense that it's people that sell your brand that aren't on your payroll, right? It's people that are, you know, brand ambassadors that believe in what you're doing. But the other hand, you have to have that other networking. And I I, I will commend you for that because one thing that you're really talented at is, you know, like my wife said, she said, I met Layla at school, you know, school pickup. And, you know, you were messaging on Instagram, you know, when you were thinking about moving here, you and your husband were reaching out to me and others. And then you're very active in speaking to people. And I think that goes a long way because most of us have our comfort zone and we're not comfortable talking to someone at the supermarket or at school, you know, but you think of the value there because you're doing this in a, in a time that's even more difficult. We have COVID, right? It's not like there's a networking event. You know, tonight we're supposed to have a networking event with one of our vendors where there's 500 people that usually attend. And it's a great place for me to meet architects and designers that's not happening. And so you're finding a different avenue to meet these people. Yeah. And it, and it has been hard for me to randomly talk to a person at the grocery store or meet the moms at soccer practice, or it, it does take a lot, but I've also found it beneficial in so many other ways. It's been great for my children. And you, you do, you form a community of people that you can reach to for a lot of things. So, so how does that work with, uh, the building side of it? Cause, okay. So you're, you're, branching out, you're meeting a lot of people, you're speaking with them, getting to build a rapport in the community because you're in the medical field. So right, family practice, and we'll get into everything that your practice does, you know, for those listening, you know, but from the business side of things, you know, it's also now, okay, we find a location, we have to invest in that, we have to do the TI, we have to do the build out. So, you know, walk us through that process of just the complexity of finding a space in COVID and doing the construction. And it's not like it's cheap right now to build. No. And when we, well, so kind of some background, we weren't planning on doing our own practice. So my idea was to join this other practice, build a client base, and then be able to go out on my own. So this wasn't really our plan. And so when we kind of got thrown into it, it was last minute trying to find a space. There was nothing available. Um, looking at as many places as we possibly could to find something that would work for what we needed quickly. And we couldn't find anything. And we finally found something kind of last minute that looked like it might work, but it wasn't the exact location that we wanted. And right before we signed for that, the location we're at 
came up and we went and looked at it. And I remember looking through it and thinking, man, it's a very unusual layout and it needed to be completely updated. And luckily I have a husband that's an architect. And so he, he had a lot more vision than I did and knew that we could make it better. So that's what we moved forward with. And it was difficult with COVID getting, you know, business license and all of that was a lot harder than it normally was, even finding subs to help complete the work. And so my husband honestly did 95% of it completely by himself, things he'd never done before, doing the floors. He made a, opened up a window. Um, you know, he had to do everything by himself. And the kids and I, since the kids weren't in school, they would go with me and we would try and help them however we could. But That's amazing. Put in some real sweat equity, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and we were on a tight budget. They didn't give yeah. us much for TI. Yeah. And so it was what, what we could prioritize and what really needed to be done. And now if you look at it and kind of see the before and afters, it's pretty incredible what what, what you he did was with able it. to do. So I, w- I want to come back to, I think, the pivot part. I think that's key to any business. Um, and I want to touch on that. We'll come back to that as well as location, you know, mm-hmm. that, pays, that, that plays a big part of that. But what I love that you brought up is, you know, you were just speaking about um, just the ability to evolve. And here you are in this space, you know, to create something in a timely manner. You know, you have a husband that's an architect that can help with design. You know, so, you know, from that side of things, um, how – you know, how involved were you with the design, right? Because there's, he's an architect on the residential side and you have a medical side you're designing. Right. So, you know, are there differences in, you know, what has to be specified and laid out, you know, that was unique to him and how did, you know, you both kind of collaborate on that? Well, I got lucky because he had actually worked uh, previously in San Antonio for a firm that did more commercial and he had actually worked on a hospital that was one of his big big projects was working on a children's hospital. So he had a little bit of background. Plus working with me in the past, uh, my last practice, we actually had redone that space as well. And he didn't redo it, but he was able to give input that whole time. And so he and I worked together. I really wanted the space to be very different than the normal family practice office, not quite as cold and sterile as it can be. And so uh, he kind of ran with that and came up with everything on his own. I honestly didn't have much to do with it. <laughs> he he knows me well enough to know to know what, what you want uh-huh. and what your envision was. Right. So so talk to the, for anyone listening that doesn't understand what a TI is. So we talk about the word TI, which is a tenant improvement. And in commercial development, what typically happens is you have a space. You have a an owner that owns the building. They are looking for a certain tenant. It could be retail. It could be medical. You know, some of them are zoned differently depending on the jurisdiction and mm-hmm. municipality and what they're dictating. And then what happens is there's, there's a couple ways to do this. You could have an empty shell, which some buildings you're right. probably looking at, and they may have a certain amount of budget that they actually, these are dollars that the developer will give you to build out the space. And then right. it'll factor into your lease and your monthly rent and all right. that stuff. Um, you know, or you might have something like you had where it's a remodel. So how was that negotiate? I mean, how did you negotiate the lease, the tenant side, and figure out the dollars for the remodel because that's very complicated in itself. Oh, that's so hard. And that's part of owning a business that I had never dealt with. In medical school, they don't give you business (laughs) training, which they should because so many people do their own practice and you should have some background in that. So I have no business background. I've had to Google how to do a lot of things. Um, So it's been pretty interesting on that end. But Luckily, Nick actually had his real estate license as well. And so he had some background in how to negotiate a lease. And we had a good real estate agent that helped with all of that. 
And so we, unfortunately, because of the location, you know, location is everything, the TI that they gave us was a lot less because they knew that they, they knew could it was rent a good spot. it. And, yeah. and the way the market is right now, especially here in Arizona, it's great. I mean, there was three or four spaces even available in that size. So we kind of had to take what we had, unfortunately. Um, so we didn't get a lot of TI. We negotiated as much as we could and kind of showed what needed to be done. But most of it, you know, ends up on us to do it or you just don't do it. Yeah. And I think that for anyone listening, so the way that works is, as you mentioned, if they're in a desirable location, it's a little bit harder to negotiate that. And then, you know, the landlord or owner of the commercial building will give you so much. And then that that money will go towards construction costs and whatever exceeds that amount is up to you. You're putting money out of your pocket for that space. And it's hard to do that because it's not your house. It's not your it's house. Not you don't own it. Right. You You're don't get that money back, but you also want to create that space. So we, like I said, we really prioritized what was most important, what we had to have, and then just kind of went down the list and figured out what we could do out of our budget. And that's why Nick ended up doing most of the manual labor himself, because we, that's where we could save some money if he did it. And we had some help you know, from family. And like I said, even my kids were in there that's awesome. tearing stuff up and helping do things. So they're learning, which is great too. That's part of owning a business. You're, you can bring your children. I know you do that sometimes. And they can start learning parts of that as well. That's the fun part. It's fun. You know, the, we're doing a project now and my wife was helping the client with like the furniture and stuff. So my oldest, our oldest daughter, you know, went and they worked together and they're setting up all the furniture and laying out the rugs and doing the picture frames. And she loved it. You know, she wants to go into, um, you know, hairstyling. That's what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. But I think it like pricked a little, you know, something inside of her where she's like, I like design. This is kind of fun, you know, setting this up and doing some dream home. And it's funny how your kids, you know, I don't, no, if any of my kids, we have mostly daughters, we'll see if they get into design construction. Right. But, you know, they're interested. They like touring the homes we do. Well, and think of all their learning business-wise, too, how to even just how to work hard and to put effort into something other than what their normal daily activity is. Yeah, and, and, and let's talk about that because we, when we talk about pivot, you know, I know a little bit about your story because you and your husband shared that as far as you were coming out here, you were relocating the family, a big move from Texas to Arizona, you were going to work with another practice and now some things took a different direction, you know, and here you are. And so how did that conversation go through your husband? You're like looking at each other like, okay, now do we go all in? And as we've been speaking about, there's so much to starting a business in a new location. Yeah, absolutely. We, it was tough. We weren't sure what to do, but we felt pretty strongly. We've always talked about doing our own practice, especially given his background, being able to help with that. Our hope was at some point to be able to design it and completely build it out like you were talking about earlier. However, we kind of got thrown into this last minute and we're on a time crunch to get anything done. And we just felt like it was something that we could do. And, you know, sometimes you just have to go for it and take a leap of faith that it will work out, even if it's not exactly how you planned and when and how you plan to do it. Well, it's funny because entrepreneurs, you're either born an entrepreneur or you're kind of thrust into it. Right. <laughs> right, right. And, and I, I look at that. It's the same way we started AFT is, you know, I had a different plan at my stage of career of where we were back, you know, eight years ago. Yeah. And there were some events that were somewhat similar to what you had where there was another venture we were starting up. And I was working with a venture capitalist and, you know, as in, in, in the tech and clothing line, you know, sure, sure. and things stopped. Like they just, they didn't go. And there was a, a, a long story behind it. And so you pivot and you say, okay, well, 
maybe I should get my license and start AFT. And just like you, it's like, well, I've never owned a business. And, you know, although I worked in construction most of my life and I had a good understanding of, you know, the construction side, you know, how to bid a job sure. and how to run it. I don't know the business side, you know, as you mentioned, negotiating a lease for my office and figuring out Completely rent different. and overhead mm -hmm. and hiring and all these things that go into it. So different. I did get lucky in Texas when I first moved out there. I was the first physician that the hospital had hired as an outpatient physician. And so they didn't know how to do much. The first day I showed up, they kind of said, well, what do you need in the rooms? And I kind of looked at them. What do you mean? What do I need in the rooms? And so. Yeah, like do you need med gas, right? Right. So many different things. And usually when you walk into a hospital-based practice, it's all set up for you and you just, you know, go thing. with it. Um, the other thing that happened when I was there is that they had me start a medical spa. And so, again, I had to do all the research and learning. So I actually had a unique opportunity there to really learn and build on someone else's dime. Not all of the things that I'm dealing with now, but a lot of them. And so I had some experience, thank goodness, to help me out. Which is awesome. I mean, it's so important. I mean, there's a lot of people that I consult with and they're like, Brad, I want to start my own company. And I always ask them, well, what experience, you know, I mean, it, it's not even, I mean, we use the term learn on someone else's dime, which is true. But at the same time, you're, you're providing value as an employee. Typically, maybe sure. you're not compensated at the level that you may deserve because of your talent and expertise and your work ethic. But at the same time, you're gaining valuable experience that's going to catapult you some point in the future, you know, as long as you have that end Absolutely. goal. You know, so from your side, your practice now, you know, talk about that because you are not just, a, you know, family practitioner. You have the med spa. And so how do those two businesses relate to each other? Is it tough having different scopes of work, you know, and, and emphasis in the company? So it is a little bit just because they work very differently. One goes through insurance and there's so many, there's HIPAA and laws and a lot of things that you have to deal with. And then the other is more cosmetic. And, and so that's definitely different. However, I think they go really hand in hand more than people realize. I can be treating an acne patient in my clinic and then refer them to the medical spa side and where they can further their treatment and have more options. Um, that's just one example. I like to be able to treat the whole patient so I can treat them physically, mentally, kind of build that whole, you know, the whole person and really help treat the entire person, which I think is a little unique. There are some other family physicians that do that, but this gives me kind of that opportunity to do something a little bit more and a little bit different. And you create different relationships on both sites as well. That's so. interesting. So do you have a certain demographic you're seeking? Are you looking for one arm of the business more than the other? Not really. Honestly, a lot of people have asked me why I don't just focus on one mm -hmm. or the other. I really love family medicine. You form a relationship with patients that that is totally different than any other, even, even any other field of medicine, because you can see patients from the time they're born until the time they die, essentially, and everything in between. And I can do well, child checks, I can see a grandma for her high blood pressure. I can see the mom for her pap smear. You know, I, I get to know the whole family in a totally different way than anybody else does. And people share things with me that they don't share with anyone else. So I really love that part of it. And medically, or and doing the medical spa side is completely different. You know, you're adding something, a whole other element and level to it. But I couldn't really give up one or the other because they both have benefits. The medical spa side is a little bit more fun and exciting, and you know, but the other, the family medicine side, you really are providing a service that, that is 
completely different than anything else. Well, I think there's value in diversification too, because, Mm -hmm. you know, markets can change, economies can change, clientele, um, you know, and so it, it gives you an opportunity where they both can be busier, maybe one's a little bit busier. And so you can kind of pivot between the two. Right. And, and you can serve patients in both ways. Like I'll see a patient for a pap smear and then do their Botox two minutes later. So it can kind of be a one-stop shop, <laughs> shop for, for a lot of people. Or for a busy mom, it's hard to take all your kids to a well child check somewhere and then go somewhere else for Botox and somewhere else for your pap smear. And I can do all of that in Which one spot. Which is incredible. Yeah. And it's funny. I, I think our business is very similar that way in the sense that, you know, we do commercial, we do residential. Mm-hmm. And we have, you know, our clientele is very different in the commercial side. As we're alluding to, you know, clients have uh, either a TI budget provided by the owner and then they may be putting a little bit of skin in the game. Um, But at the same time, a lot of it's driven by time, how quick we can get done because they got to be open and run their business. And this is all cost, you know, whereas if I'm doing a custom home, it's a little more personal. Right. So the level of detail is still important, but there's a different aspect of, you know, the mentality of each client, you know, and it's balancing that. And it pulls from that community we were talking about earlier where you're kind of creating this community and it is different on both sides, but you are creating kind of a community and giving to the community in different ways. In different ways. Yeah, which is huge because the more value you provide to your community and area, and as you mentioned, getting involved. And I love that you said this early in the episode because a lot of people say, you know, when I'm starting my company, how do I build brand recognition? How do I get out there? Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's, yeah, social media, we could talk about all day, but getting out there and speaking to people at your kids' soccer games and you know, school events and getting involved. And I mean, these are all things that cost a lot of time, you know, but at the same time, if you're engaging and being out there, like you're going to build that rapport network and it's all about who you know, right? It's all about that network. It is. And it's helped with so many things, even just going out and meeting the other providers in the community. That allows me to give better patient base as well, because, you know, if I need to get a patient in quickly, I have someone to call and contact that I can get them in quickly or hey, can you quickly review this x-ray or what do you think about, you know, so it's really easy to go to that, again, that community and give better patient care because I have that. Same with you. I mean, I'm sure the more connections you have, the easier it is for you to give kind of exceptional houses. Well, it it helps. And I think a lot of it too, is it allows you, um, you know, it's funny. I, I, I always give this example. I had a neighbor that I've known for a long time and I told them I was in construction. I don't think they really knew what that meant or what I did, you know, and, you know, and speaking with them and then through social media and them seeing what I did is like five years later, they're like, oh, I get it. I know what you do now. Yeah. You know, next time I build my house, we're going to hire you or, you know, I have so-and-so that's going to be building, you know, and, and that's how you build up because it's that repetition being in front of them. And absolutely, th- that, that's the hardest thing because most people forget. Right. They don't realize that. Well, and that's where, like you said, social media comes into play. I know when I started social media, this will date me, but it was mainly Facebook, right? And we were doing videos of injections or some sort of treatment and letting people ask questions, kind of taking the stigma away from a lot of it so they could see it and know what they were getting beforehand and know you beforehand a little bit, know your results, know what type of person you were before they even came to see you. And so it's just one more step there. Well. I love you brought that part up because I, th- I think there's a few industries and I don't want to cut any out, but I know, you know, in construction, it's very personal, like customer service communication mm-hmm. is so key. People are investing a lot of money. Typically one of their biggest purchases is in their home or remodel, you know, in the food industry, people are very, um, uh, 
I, I should say very specific on what they want to eat. And if they're, right. you know, if a waiter's not listening to the things that they want on the sure. menu, they get very frustrated. Yeah. And, and the medical side is very similar. It's very, very customer savvy people with their bodies or their health, you know, so how does customer service or communication with your clientele play a role? Because it is one of those industries, just like construction, where I don't want to say clients are sensitive, but there's an emotion behind it. Absolutely. Well, it, we always talk about bedside manner in mm. medicine, right? Creating good bedside manner so people feel that. But in any industry, like you said, it's that customer service, how you make someone feel and the value you provide. That's what's so important. People are going to come to you because they know you and what type of person you are. And that's who they want to work with. And it's kind of the same thing. If I can provide excellent customer service and good bedside manner, people want to come back to see me or share things with me that they may be we're uncomfortable sharing with someone else. And so I can provide that extra kind of extra level of care. And that's kind of something we've been trying to create too. Being new in the area is create kind of a brand that's different and unique from, you know, anyone else that maybe it stands out. Maybe we offer drinks or, you know, we actually did a training yesterday and the, the trainer was saying, well, why don't you offer a meal if they're here the whole day for something? Why don't you know that $10 that you invest you're just giving a little bit more, a little bit bigger, different, better, providing, you know, that extra level of care. Yeah, which goes a long way. I think those little um, perks, if you will, you know, you're giving to the client, little incentives, you know, it goes a, a long way. And it, it, it's interesting because from your side, you're dealing with so many clients, so many personalities that all have different needs or services. So how do you manage the difficult ones, maybe the unrealistic <laughs> ones? Oh, you get a lot of those in medicine, but I think it's kind of the the tried and true thing that the customer's always right. Unfortunately, that's kind of the reality, and you have to work with them and really help them feel like they are important and that you're willing to work with them, even if sometimes it is a little bit difficult to deal with them. You you have to do that, and we have such a wide range of patients and you know demographics in so many different ways, and so we really have to accommodate all the different people that we might see sometimes it's hard it is hard (laughs) (laughs) the customer service side is hard and it doesn't matter how you know I, i look at it this way i mean even for us i feel we're a lot better today you know than we were a year ago and five years ago you know but even then you know as much training and emphasis we put with our team and our staff there's still more to do and it's hard to always deliver on expectations because that's really what it comes down to sometimes in our industry you know the designer has a mindset of what something should look like or the architect. Right. The client has their envision what it'll look like and then we have ours. <laughs> sure. So now you're trying to marry the three and sometimes it doesn't line up and that's where it's that balancing act of understanding their concern and how we work through that. Yeah. And that that can be difficult with any patient or in any situation, but I think if you can have really good communication and kind of find out what they're really looking for, then hopefully we can meet their needs. And then kind of going above and beyond, like I was saying, we had a staff meeting yesterday and talking a little bit about how can we reach out additionally to our patients? How can we follow up to make sure their needs were met? Can we do anything additional? You talked a little bit earlier about building your client base. And I think a lot of that comes from reviews. So Previously, it was just word of mouth, right? And now there's Google, there's Yelp, there's all these other aspects that people can go to. And so if you're not providing good service, they're not going to give you good reviews. And people are coming to that and trying to find out that information. I got lucky. I was able to move over some of my my reviews from Texas. And that's been phenomenally helpful because people are able to look at that and see that rather than starting from scratch. But you have to keep building that. That's something you keep building. And so if you're not 
really listening to the patient and getting what they need and what they want, then you're not going to continue to provide that excellent customer service. Yeah. And it's interesting because when you look at the analytics of any company, you know, the more reviews you have, you know, especially Google, Google Maps, you know, that's really important, you know, because Google is driving so much SEO, you know, content. Uh, And going back, you mentioned training with your team. So how often do you train? Because, you know, and we'll get back into the hiring thing because that's always uh, that's a curiosity to me starting a new company and, you know, especially in the medical field, but going back to the training, I mean, how often do you have team trainings? Well, right now we're doing it a lot because we've brought on a lot of new devices. And so we're making sure that they're all appropriately trained in that. But in medical, in the medical field, I'm always doing continuing med- medical education. And so they are, they have requirements too, depending on what part of the, the practice they're in. But um, I just think the more training you can do, you've got to do training in customer service. You've got to do training in the devices. You've got to do training in the procedures. So the more you can do, they feel educated as well. It helps the staff to feel like they know what they're doing and they feel better. And they all have things to bring to the table too. So they have things that they can offer and recommend and make the team better too. I love that because there is a lot that, you know, the more we speak with our team and staff and employees, you know, that's that feedback that helps us as business owners, you know, to create a better environment for them. And and your industry is so much more difficult because the continuing education, I mean, you have a lot of third parties that come in and medical devices or different products or technology and applications. And so you're trying to say, is this a fit for me? What's the research on this? Is this going to work for my client? And then how do we factor it into our business? Yeah. And that's something that's, that I've always, you know, you always want to be kind of have the top of the line and know what's the best treatment for the patient. I've done extra trainings because I think you can always learn something from someone else, even if it's a new technique, especially in the cosmetic side. You know, when I'm doing injections, there's all these new techniques, there's new products all the time. So I do my best to kind of stay up on that, but it's, it's difficult because there's so much out there. Um, But that's where social media comes in play too, is there's so much more information there. It's become kind of a search engine for patients, but it also is for me too to see what other people are offering and how they're offering it and how can I better help, you know, my patient by offering some of these services. So how collaborative is the medical field as far as, you know, if you're looking to collaborate with other medical practice um, practitioners or executives or business owners such as yourself, not here because you know, and you're in a competitive market, but is it collaborative if you're working with doctors in other parts of the country? It actually is a lot more than you would think. And it is more even in locally too, because it helps me to know all the providers in the area and it helps them as well because we kind of refer back and forth to each other. And so we do that a lot. I recently started the segment that you mentioned to ask a specialist. And so I'm working with different specialists all over the country to provide more education to my patients. And I think that's what a lot of the providers want to do is provide more education to their patients because they're going to Google, right, to Mm -hmm. ask a lot of the medical questions. But if we can give them good information, we can maybe save them an office visit or direct them to the right provider. I love that. So what Layla does is for any of you to go on her Instagram account and follow her, she'll go live. So she'll reach out to other doctors and nurses and medical professionals and their specialists. Uh, I know you had Raul Meehan, mm-hmm. who, who I know who's, uh, you know, you had um, uh, the dermatologist in Utah, yeah. you know, that I was mentioning. And so these are people that are providing valuable information and, and that's the key to being a successful business. You, you know, when you look behind the scenes, 
yes, you probably on individual level, Layla, aren't profiting on a one hour IGTV. Oh, no, no, absolutely not. And that's taking time. But I want to provide value to my patients and give them education. And that's really what I've done with social media is I want to give them more education. And if I can allow them to determine, do, hey, do I need to see the specialist or can I get some of my questions answered before? Or is this something that a family practice physician can take care of? But I think just providing that extra layer of education. I also do medical Mondays. So I'll try and do some sort of medical tip or talk about some disease or something that's helpful. I also did that segment. I did a segment in Texas on a show where I was doing kind of healthy educational health tips. So if it was Diabetes Awareness Day, talking a little bit more about diabetes and how to screen for that. Or if it's if you have high cholesterol, what are some things you can change in your diet? So kind of trying to provide more value than just, and it's hard because I only get a couple minutes with the patient in the room. And this just gives me another level of being able to provide more information. Well, it's interesting because I, you know, I think back of kind of our methodology and, and thinking behind social media, and how we use it. And, you know, we have different avenues, you know, our YouTube channel, we're trying to provide little informative videos about the industry that I know a lot of our clients and people watch to give them, you know, we talk about cost plus or lump sum or some of these things that they've heard the terms, what's the upside of either, you know, and how it relates to our industry. But one thing I have not done a lot of is the IG live with other professionals that are bringing value, you know, and it's, you, you have to navigate your time too, but there's a lot of value to it. Yeah. People really like to be able to ask questions too and be involved and feel like they kind of know you on that level. But I think all the education that you're doing in any, in any business, any education you can give your your clients is going to provide more, they, they're going to want to come to you because you're going to give them that extra education on what to choose or what product to choose or what have you. So do you ever have any reservation as far as when you're out there so publicly on these forums that you're going to have, you know, we use the term troll, but you have people that'll come out and, you know, you have the negativity or you may have competitors that may look at that and say, I'm going to do that. You know, do you have any of those concerns? Oh, I have hesitation for sure, especially when you're doing an injection or something online because people are going to critique, critique your yeah. yeah, your injection technique or, you know, how you're doing it or what product you're using. So, I definitely have that reservation and I've seen some people kind of pull back a little bit. And we have to be careful just because of HIPAA as well. So, there's that concern always making sure that we're staying compliant with the laws um, for patient, you know, safety. Yeah, because that's the other complication from what you're doing with. You have the HIPAA laws, mm -hmm. you know, the privacy uh, for health. Mm -hmm. And then as far as the back end side, I think one thing that's unique about what you're doing is the medical field has become very complicated. At least I, I'm not in it, but my understanding of billing and insurance mm -hmm. and some people have to do the company and some people have their own health care. And, and so you're trying to navigate the billing side, but then you mesh that with the med spa. Well, a lot of these are cosmetic or cash or credit card. Yes. So how do you balance That's you know, all the billing? That's tricky. Insurance is its whole, it's crazy. I don't know how, how, how we got to where we are. It's very difficult to deal with insurance and to understand which insurances we take. Even just getting credentialed, especially with COVID, kind of slowed everything down for me. Um, and then making sure that we're doing everything appropriate for that. I actually have a great biller that... Um, She's helping me with all of that, luckily, so I don't deal a lot with that part of it. And then with the medical squad, just coming up with pricing and, and making sure that we're competitive, and that is mostly cash pay. So you kind of have to balance the two and make sure that you've got both of them lined up, but they're, they're both very different. 
because that's always the hardest thing is trying to figure out for you it's inventory you, you know especially on the med spa side how much product do we need to have right how much are we going to sell what's the price to make sure that that so how are you you know we use the term job costing in construction where we're really tracking projects and how much are we spending what are overages how much is it costing us how many how much labor does it take to do something i mean to what level of detail do you get involved on the medical side? Well, I'm doing a lot of it right now just because we're, we're really small and we're just starting. So I've had to kind of play into that and research that a lot more than I've ever had to do that before. And and it's just kind of a learning curve. Like I said, I've used Google a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we're speaking, good thing there's Google and YouTube and you know all these other professionals that we could rely on, right? They can help us yeah, out. Yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> it's it's funny, you know, from a construction side, you know, I haven't been involved. I was fortunate there was a, a builder in Ohio that reached out to me and he said, Brad, we're part of a Builder 20 group. His name is Gino, a good friend of mine. And he invited me to be part of their Builder 20, which, uh, you know, for us, it's a net, it's a network of 20 builders mm-hmm. throughout the country. And we all are in different states. We don't compete. And we share financials and contracts oh, and documentation. Great. And yeah. how much do we pay for a project manager? How much do we pay for a superintendent? How much do we pay oh, our cell phone bill? Nice. Yeah. So we actually, we sign NDAs, right? And we share all the stuff. And yeah. so quickly... You know, it's like, Layla, what contracts are you using? You know, how do you do a cost plus? How what are you fee? doing this? Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's and, great. And it was huge because I feel like in six months, just this light came on of education. I'm like, where has this been my whole career? Because, you know, there's so much information of people sure. that have made the mistakes and, and worked through legal issues and, and construction methods. And now I have a resource of 20 experts right. that I can reach out anytime that are there to help. That's great. Yeah. No, and I, I have talked to other people that have been in practice. Luckily, a couple of people have reached out when they saw I was doing it and have helped a little bit. And there are some things that are just set. I mean, there's only so much you can do. Mm-hmm. And I'm lucky. I actually have a great um, I have great staff that have all helped me in different ways. So my estheticians have helped me kind of figure out pricing in the medical spa side. And then I have a great biller and medical assistant that have worked in the field before. So they've been able to give me a lot of information as well. So I think having great staff is super helpful as it's, well. It's super helpful. That purchasing and coordination side is so key. It's so yeah. hard. Yeah, it's so hard. And just kind of keeping up on it and making sure we're going to start making money and <laughs> it, we're headed in the right direction. <laughs> it's hard. Sometimes it takes time with a new company too. It to is. Yeah, get the right side to of get there yeah. for sure. So how, you know, how is the hiring process? You know, when you're hiring somebody and you've done it quickly, um, whether you have two employees or 20 employees, you know, what is it something, what, what are you looking in them? Is it a personality? Is it an experience? Is it a little bit of both? Absolutely. I really want to create a brand and I want it to be excellent customer service like we were talking about earlier. And so finding people that are going to fit that mold has been really important to me. I got lucky that I'd actually met all the people that currently work for me previously before we actually we moved here. So and how did you meet them? So I had come uh, probably six months ago to do an injection event and they all assisted in that event. So I had met them before. So hold on. Let me understand. So how, <laughs> where do you come up? With, so an injection, I mean, how did you start this? How did you market? And then how did you find them to even come participate with you? So they 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 were all through a mutual friend and they had all come. I needed some estheticians to come do microdermabrasion and chemical pills. And so I found them that way. And then the biller had worked with this lady as well. And she just assisted on the side. And then marketing was mainly through social media. You know, that's kind of the way to do it. And I've done injection events, you know, in Utah. I now go back to Texas to do them. 
through, again, through social media, able to kind of continue to do that. But um, that's how I met them and knew them a little bit. But I think it's also what we're talking about with the community base, having that community base where you can pull and say, hey, do you have someone that you know that works in this field? Because you really want to have some background. It's hard to just take someone's resume meet them for five minutes and think that they're going to be a good match. I think pulling from that community and having a little bit of background on that person, because like I said, I really want to create a brand where people get exceptional service and that comes down to your employees. There's only so much I can do. So much of it comes to them. And I want people that want to build up and help grow the practice too, since we're so new. So I've gotten really lucky and have exceptional employees right now that are willing to kind of build with me and deal with all the growing pains of a new practice. (laughs) They're always outgrowing pains of a new practice. And I love that you're looking at as far as the culture aspect, you know, the personality, because it's so important when you think about these are, you're not always, you, you, you're not able yourself, Layla, to be in front of every customer. Like you just can't. And so you have to have people that are a good representation of you and your brand as they're conversing, bedside manner with the clients. Yeah, well, and I've had my mom stop going to a doctor because of the front desk staff. She loved the doctor but couldn't stand the front desk. So So common. Every touch is so important. And so for me, that's really important that they kind of understand that brand that I'm trying to create. Plus, I want to create a working environment that they want to come to work and enjoy it, especially in my field, it's mainly females that we're working with and a lot of working moms. And so I want to have flexibility and create kind of a good work style as well, which is hard. It's been hard for me to kind of figure that out. So I, you know, that's very interesting because, you know, the, the more I speak with people, it's the same thing, especially in the medical field. You know, maybe they have a dentist they really like, but they don't like the billing staff, right? Or how they do their billing Happens and they the just time. don't go. Yeah happens all the time and so it's really important that every touch that that patient has with whoever in your clinic that it's very positive Mm -hmm. so how much do i i don't do botox maybe that's a confession (laughs) here but you know i know that that's very common so how much do most people spend on botox well so there's a wide range it really depends what we're treating i would say a couple hundred dollars is usually where you're starting at and is that like a monthly that they're coming in so botox is every three months filler tends to be closer to a year kind of depending on where we're treating and what we're doing it can range um we've actually created a really cool membership model so especially for women that um don't want their spouses to understand how much they're spending (laughs) on this um and so how it works is they they pay an amount every month and um, they kind of choose their amount, so depending on what services they're interested in. Um, and so they pay that amount every month, and it is kind of like a, a savings a resi- account. Yeah, like yeah. a b- billing. Yep. Right. So in three months, if they've been doing $200 a month, when they come in in three months, they've got $600 to spend on any <laughs> treatment or Botox or filler, whatever they want to do. And, and, and in addition, they get a free service every month. So we're getting them in the door, allowing us to have more interaction with the patient, kind of form that patient communicate, uh, like communication and community. And um, they get some extra stuff. They get discounted products and services. So it's been kind of fun. So it probably works good, too, because they don't have one huge cost at once either. They can... You know, monetize this over 12 months and then right. it's gives not, you clientele. It's not so painful. Pers- yeah, it's not yeah. so painful to pay for it once, especially if you get Botox and filler. I mean, you could be $1,000 in pretty easily. And so it kind of takes that load off. So it's not quite as painful. Plus, there's so many other services we offer. I mean, laser, again, is one that kind of builds up and you have to spend a lot of money at one time. So it spreads it out a little bit. So as far as from a pain standpoint, is it painful? How long does it take typically oh, to do Botox? Bo- if you did Botox once, you you wouldn't believe how easy and painless it is. We use a teeny tiny needle, 
maybe takes five minutes. Pretty minimal. So pretty easy. Yes. So, so, you know, going back to the medical side, because, you know, you're speaking about just providing value on someone if they have high cholesterol, you know. So how how involved do you get from the dietitian standpoint from a diet of your clientele and customers? So I try and help as much as I can, and that's where social media helps me as well. Um, or I have a blog, too, where I've actually posted recipes, and I try and do a monthly newsletter as well where patients have more access to all of that. Um, because I only have so much time in the room um, to help the patient and go over all of that. But I do try to help with that because I see a lot of obesity, a lot of diabetes, uh, a lot of high blood pressure. I, I, I see all of that. And so trying to kind of help with dietary things, I have some handouts that I have prepared to help patients as well. And it's tough. I, you know, and I don't want to take this too off topic, but one of the tough things about America, and I've lived abroad, you know, and I've seen mm-hmm. diets of other countries and it's very different than America. You know, we are eating a lot of processed food, a lot of corn syrup, a lot of starch. And we eat out a lot. We more. eat out a lot. Mm-hmm. And so th- there's a lot of processed things that are hard for our bodies to digest and work off. And it's a time thing. It's a stress thing. I mean, there's just so many elements to it. There's so many elements. The issue is, though, obesity is kind of the leading cause for so many things, depression, anxiety, all those other diseases I just mentioned. And so uh, it is a big problem that we're facing as a society, and we've got to kind of get it under handle. The other thing I've been thinking about with COVID, I think um, with so many people having restrictions, not as many people are going outside, they're not exercising, they're not eating as healthy, and that's something that we can do simply to kind of keep ourselves healthier too. Well, I think the mental part of that is really difficult because I've seen COVID, people around the country and people I network with, and, you know, some of them have done really well. Like, COVID, okay, I have more time. I'm not commuting. You know, I can work can out. I can go run. Home. I can do yeah. more at home. Like, I'm active. I'm doing projects around the house. Sure. You know, so they're staying more active. Whereas some of them, it, it's tougher because some markets and demographics are different. They're more restrictive, you know, maybe parts of California. And so that's taken an emotional toll where now they're not exercising, not going to the gym, and they're eating more. And, you know, they've had the reverse effect. Yeah, I've seen more anxiety and depression in the past six months than I think I've seen before just because it is affecting people in in different ways. And so, like I said, really focusing on those healthy lifestyle things that you can do, especially if you have more time and more ability to do that, um, I think that's very important and really will play a difference in how people get out on the other side of this whole pandemic. I know, and who knows when it's going to end right now. <laughs> We're in December. We're going to see here. I know. You know, so from a family practitioner side, how often do you recommend that a family, you know, uh, spouse and spouse and children, you know, how often should they be coming in? You know, So it really depends on the person and their risk factors and their family history. But just as a general rule, once a year is kind of a good amount of time to be seen that way that the physician can assess how often you need to be seen or what other issues you might have that might require more attention. And then from, I guess, from a health side, you know, are there certain things, you know, in our network, you know, a lot of males, you know, as they're aging, they talk about prostate cancer that you should get checked. I mean, are there certain major things, male or female, that people should be checking, you know, as they age that could be better if they find it early? Absolutely. There's so many things, and I really like to focus on preventative medicine. My goal is to keep my patients healthy so we don't have to deal with a lot of that later on. So in your 20s and 30s, that's when you really need to start seeing the doctor, Um, especially for females. They tend to only see the OB, so they haven't really seen a family physician. But you need blood work, you know, regular screening blood work. You need um, pap smears as females. You need certain vaccines. 
And then when you're in your 40s and 50s, depending on your family history, you also need um, possibly colonoscopies and mammograms, prostate cancer screening. So being aware of that. And then when you get into your 60s, that's when you really start seeing, you know, you need more immunizations. Um, you might need a DEXA bone scan to screen for bone density. There's so many things that kind of build up as you get older. But that's why I recommend at least once a year starting kind of in your 20s to make sure you don't have any other family history or other comorbid issues. And and I think that's really important for anyone listening, and especially the, you know, for you going back to the network side, you know, as you're looking to bring value as a business owner to your clientele in the minor industry, this is Layla where you succeed because if someone comes in and they need some of these specializations or you're doing the, the, the regular checkups with them, then now you have a network of professionals that you can refer you know, to outsource that too. Yes, and that's where it's super helpful to have those so I know who I'm referring to because people get frustrated with that too if you refer them to a bad place yeah. or... Because then they may not know. come back to you. Right, right. It reflects on you somewhat too. So that's been important for me to really meet those professionals and kind of know who I'm referring to and know how quickly they can get in and, you know, get whatever tests performed that they need to. So how does COVID limit that? Because you mentioned get in to, to be seen. I mean, are there limitations with how many people you can have now at the facility and, you know, we all have to have social distancing and all those other things. Yeah, COVID has made everything a little bit more difficult. And we've always worried about patient safety and keeping everything clean, but it's created a whole new level of that. Uh, We actually keep patients in the car and check their temperature before they come in. We're doing a screening Um, kind of a COVID questionnaire screening before they enter into the office. And then I think it's made people more hesitant to come in. So we've actually offered um, virtual visits as well. So they can do it all online. They actually see me. It's all HIPAA compliant. um, And I can go through a lot of their medical treatment that way. So I was going to ask, I mean, how prevalent is it now to do the online telehealth, you know, remote Zoom, whatever? It's very common right now. I don't know if the insurance will keep allowing it because it wasn't previous. I mean, this is all So they're new. allowing it now and it is billable through insurance It is. Right it's now. different. I mean, it's not the same as an office yeah. visit and it's a little bit harder for me, especially with a new patient that I've never met because I haven't done a physical exam on them. I don't have Height, a weight, good rapport. Health, blood pressure. Right. And so, but I've actually found a lot of people have a blood pressure cuff at home or they can check their weight for me. Go know, to Walgreens kind of, maybe mm-hmm, and check. Give me yeah. some information. So we've been able to do quite a few of those, especially for the people that are hesitant or have comorbid issues that aren't allowing them to be out in the public as much. Wow. Yeah, there's so much to that. I, You know, the balance of what you're dealing with, you know, COVID for us is restrictive to an extent, you know, being construction, we're an essential service. Right. And so we're still out there. And, you know, it's a little bit easier I'll say for me you know we're on job sites where sure bigger projects we can keep you know a towel guy on one side of the house you know <laughs> cabinet guy on the other yeah we can separate <laughs> them you know make sure they're not hanging out all the time and eating lunch next to each other but right. so that that part's fairly easy but for you where you have so many bodies coming in and out and it is a medical facility so some people their immune system may be compromised and that's where you're trying to really balance and take harder. care of everyone. Yeah, so we actually have two waiting rooms, one for medical spa and one for family practice, which has been nice because that, that allows nice. to kind of keep that separation. Uh, we try and get people back as quickly as possible. We're trying not to overlap patients too much so that there's not as much interaction between patients as there was previously. Um, so we've tried to do every measure we can to kind of help that, but it is really difficult and has completely changed I think just the way we look at everything now. So how how many square feet is your space? Because they have two lobby rooms and configure it's that. It's pretty small. <laughs> I don't. I'm trying to even think. 
I don't but, even but the remember. lobbies, but you have two separate we entrances for each side. We have two separate lobbies. We don't have separate entrances, okay. but we have two separate lobbies. Um, it was kind of an unusual layout. I'm not really sure what they used what it the for before. What the previous tenant was? Yeah, we think two tenants before, we think it was a hairdresser. And so they. I think that's what the back lobby area that we now use it for. But the it was kind of an unusual layout. I'm not sure what the... And now, uh, you know, because you've been open how long? We've been open since June. We kind of did a soft opening in June, and we were able finally to do a grand opening in October. So there was a lot of delay because of COVID and just kind of building everything slowly took a little bit longer. And now 2021, very promising, very excited about next year? I hope so. I hope <laughs> I hope it continues to go in the right direction. But yeah, we've had a lot of growth. We had an overwhelming response at our grand opening. We had so many people there. Um, I think we're, we were able to provide some value, again, trying to do education. We had all the drug reps come in, kind of talk about their different products and services, um, perform some free procedures, showed. I think people need to see it, just like you were asking about Botox. If you see yeah. Botox one time, you say, oh, that's, that's it. That's not a huge yeah. deal. Yeah, I did two new patients yesterday that had never done it, and afterward they said, well, is that it? And so I think just being able to see things and ask questions is really helpful. I really like being able to do those events. So those grand opening events are, uh, you know, when you talked about, you know, having the injection event, you know, so is that where you're actually doing it? So people are watching and they're getting more comfortable with people it? People get to watch it and see it, and we get to do, we'll do live demonstrations of microneedling or, you know, something so that they can kind of see what, what everything looks like and realize it's not that painful or ask the person that's getting injected how much did that hurt you know yeah <laughs> it's kind of nice to be able to have that option which is always a concern for for most of us with the medical side yeah well but I think it's like that in any business really you know if you can show people what the process is going to be I know you do mm -hmm. a lot of that showing them the process of building then people realize what they're kind of getting into yeah they do and and sometimes to that effect I mean the more you show them and transparent you know it not everything is as easy as they think you know I I, I found that over the years, our, our clients have become a lot more educated in construction because in the beginning, you know, they'd say, how hard is this, Brad? You're getting a few framing bids. You send your framer out there. Well, sure. okay, it's, it's not that easy because now we show them all the training behind the scenes. Like if I'm going out to my framer, well, are we checking the nailing patterns, right? Do we have the right support? You know, are they following the plans, the shear? You know, all these different things, you know, the truss hangers, you know. And, and there's so many elements that are extremely technical that actually affect the structural integrity of the home. Oh, absolutely. And it's not so much just, okay, this framer's 100,000, this one's 120. We're going to bring them in, go do it, talk to me in six weeks when you're done. It's not that easy. Oh, absolutely. It's funny that you say that. I was thinking of my husband one time, he was designing a house and the people wanted to move the staircase. Yeah. And they just <laughs> thought it was an easy fix to move yeah. the staircase. And he kind of had to explain to them what that entailed and how much more time and effort would go into moving that. All the things, like you were saying, I don't even understand how, but the electrical is going to move, the walls are going to move. The, and, and depending where the base of the staircase is, the footings, you know. Absolutely. and I mean, there's so many structural components because yeah. I'm sure he's designed, you know, the way, you know, the first and second floor, how it's tied together and interior yeah. shear and all that stuff. So and, there's so much that goes into that. And that's where I think, again, just educating your clients on whatever you're doing so they have a little bit of background and understand what, what's entailed is really helpful and people just feel much more comfortable and come to you because you're providing that extra value. Well, and it shows you as the thought leader. You're the expert, Layla, right? You're, you're, you're out there. You're presenting this stuff, and so there's a comfort for your clientele where they come in. Layla knows what she's doing. I'm comfortable bringing my family here and myself for the med spa. Yeah. So what is, you know, before we close, um, going back to social media, 
have you seen more success on one of the platforms as opposed to another? Where do you focus most of your time as far as social media? Because there's so many different platforms out there. Well, I think it's changed a lot because like I said, I kind of started on Facebook and that's where I got most of my business. Um, All my new clients, especially med spa wise, were coming from there. But I think it's transitioned a lot. I wish I was an expert. It's completely changed since I started. Um, I know Pinterest was really big for a little bit. It still is. I I actually think we underutilize Pinterest. Um, But I think Instagram is where a lot of it is at right now. Um, but I also think it's the hardest because the algorithm is always changing. Sometimes I think I have it figured out and then it's completely changed. So I'm definitely not an expert. You're, you're a lot better at it than (laughs) I am, but, but, um, I feel like that's where I'm getting a lot of, a lot of the information and the, the interaction with patients more. Yeah. It's interesting because we use all of them. I mean, Mm -hmm. well, to the best we can, you know, but it's funny going back to the Pinterest, you know, my wife and I were on vacation a while back and. She found these amazing restaurants on Pinterest, and I would have never guessed. You know, I'm thinking Yelp yeah. or something or Google, and she's on Pinterest, and these were like amazing restaurants that people recommend. Well, and I think people are using social media as search engines now, yeah. so they're not just going to Google and looking at reviews. They're kind of going. Everyone's to on all, their phone. Uh-huh. They have a smartphone. They're on all these different sources, and that's where I think, as much as sometimes I have a love hate relationship with, with social media, <laughs> but I it, it is it's almost crucial for any business now because that's what people are using as a search engine to kind of get to know what they're getting into before they get there. And all the different platforms are competing for our attention too. So they are, and I and I think it kind of depends on demographics too. That's mm-hmm. the other thing I was going to say. Facebook tends to be an older demographic, which I am still trying to attract. And sometimes a little uh-huh. more political, which is tough. Yeah, which <laughs> is hard. I stay out of that. And then the like the newer, younger patients tend to come from more from Instagram. Yeah. So what's exciting? What's upcoming for you? Well, we just started that membership. So I'm really excited about that because that really has created a whole different community and we get to see those patients a lot more. Um, We're also doing virtual skin consults, which I'm really excited about. We just kind of are starting to roll this out where people can um, meet with either myself or one of the estheticians to find out what skincare we recommend and we can actually ship it to them. So that's really nice. It's allowed us to kind of open the market besides just being here in Arizona. We've shipped a couple different places. So that's really nice. Um, and then I'm hoping to keep building this, building this Ask a Specialist um, series. I think that's going to be kind of fun for patients to learn more and feel educated. And maybe even turn into a podcast at some point. Maybe. That's <laughs> what we've been talking about. If you're ready to take on that venture as well. <laughs> One more thing. And where can our listeners find you? So I just started a new Instagram. So that's Prescribed Health. And that's just mainly health and medical. My original Instagram is just Prescribed Design. Um, That's my family, but I still do the Medical Monday aspects there. And then I've got a blog, which is Prescribed Design as well. And then we've got a new website, so Prescribed Health. Easy enough. Well, we'll have all those tagged. And can't thank you enough, Layla, for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, They're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast. 